Chapter 1. The sun sat high in the Dalraedan sky. Alpin and Chorich rode lead. Les and Ronan rode close behind. Their mission was singular. They would find their people Kenneth, Aidan, Nessa, and the other captive Scots. And in Alpin's heart, he was prepared to pour upon his enemy all measures of fury, cunning, and might needed to extract those he loved from the clutches of the Vikings, regardless of the cost. As they rode, few words were spoken. Their minds were occupied, and their hearts were steeled. The path north carried the four along the western rim of Loch Lomond where the gradual crests and sloping dips of the rolling woodland draped the placid body of water like a skirt, descending and shaping its basin. The landscape had once been idyllic. Yet now, the once tranquil vista had lost its beauty. Its innocence was gone, thrashed and pummeled. The Viking army had moved through the region like a herd of savage beasts ripping at the land and leaving a tortured path in its wake, a path trampled with hoofprints and wheel ruts. Among the ruts lay discarded waste and countless mounds of horse manure, littering the landscape and exuding a pungent odor that hovered like an invisible cloud in the hot sun. The four Scots moved quickly down the decimated path. They pressed across the high plateau of the lock where the trail leveled and cut through a grove of yellow aspens. The tree's golden foliage quaked quietly under the gentle gusts of the autumn breeze, a stark contrast to the rumbling of the Viking horde that had passed only a day earlier. Beyond the aspens the trail straightened for a hundred yards, cutting a course through a pair of twin pine rows lining either side of the path. The towering evergreens loomed above the trail like giant sentries, dwarfing the riders and casting their shadows upon the path as the western sun pushed against their arm-like branches. Whoa, whoa, Alpin called out, sighting a large obstruction in the path ahead. He tugged his reins and slowed. What is it? Ronan asked, lagging the pack. Seems to be a horse, Alpin replied. A dead one. The four paced forward and found themselves amid a choking, putrid odor wafting from a decomposing horse carcass. The arrow in its shoulder must have brought it down, Alpin noted as he dismounted. Slowly, he circled the swollen corpse and stooped beside it. His eyes combed over the body of the fallen creature and locked on the bloody puncture in the animal's chest. Judging by this wound, I'd say someone put it out of its misery. Then where's the rider? Chorich asked. No saddle, no reins, seems odd, Alpin said. Maybe the rider took em. Or maybe someone else did. Look here, Chorich pointed to two sets of footprints leading away from the horse. Alpin stood and studied the trees. Split up, he said. Look for signs of struggle or signs of Kenneth. This may have been his horse. If it was, he may be near. Chorich rode a short distance ahead, past the pines and rounding a curve. He dismounted and scanned the overgrowth on either side of the path. Then he stepped through a small gap in the underbrush and teetered between two prickly blackthorn bushes. Suddenly a new scent invaded his nostrils. Chorich waved his hand in the air to push away the odor as he pressed through the thorn bushes. Clearing the brush Chorich glanced down and halted. On the ground in front of him lay the body of a dead man. Black flies roosted on the bloated corpse, scurrying over their host, coming and going in sporadic flight. Chorich's stomach wrenched. He convulsed and turned away. Then he eased his eyes back to the body and noted the man's brown leather garb. He had seen it before. It was the same he'd seen on the dead Vikings in Renton. Father, come here. He yelled. 
Chorich circled the corpse and prodded the body with his sword. He pushed the tip of his metal blade against the man's distended belly, and an irritated fly emerged from the man's mouth and departed in flight. Chorich grimaced, then startled as Alpin appeared through the brush. Good lord! Alpin exclaimed, gasping at the stench and gaping at the corpse. His eyes drew narrow. What's a dead Viking doing here? Before Chorich could offer a response, Les and Ronan materialized through the bushes, bumping Chorich in the back and sending him stumbling over the body. Ronan's eyes widened. Dang! Quite a shot! He said as he caught sight of the arrow protruding from the man's neck. Les stooped beside the dead Viking. He carefully examined the arrow's shaft and fletching. Crossbow. Looks Dalraedon. Chorich crouched beside him, and extracted the arrow. He peered up at his father. It's a Dalraedon arrow, but nothing Kenneth would possess, nor anything I've seen in Renton. Somebody wanted the man dead, Alpin said. Keep looking, we may find more clues. The four divided and continued the hunt. Chorich finished searching the brush and stepped back to the path. Find anything. He called to Ronan. Nothing, Ronan replied. How about you? Nothing. Chorich, Ronan, come here, Les shouted, standing forty yards away at the edge of a large field. He waved his arms and motioned for the two to hurry. Your father found something. Alpin remained occupied in the middle of the large field, an expanse that stretched across a rolling terrain and found its boundary at the western bank of Loch Lomond. The field was empty and uninhabited, save its knee-high grass and a single ancient oak. Father, what is it? Chorich asked as the three approached. Appears to be someone's home, or what is left of it. Seems Renton wasn't the only place the Vikings struck. Alpin crouched and lifted a piece of blackened wood from the abandoned ash pile. He inspected the wood and then gazed forward toward the lock. I suspect the arrow in the dead Viking came from the people who lived here. Wonder where they are now. Chorich said. Ronan kicked a charred piece of wood. They could be far gone. Or dead, Chorich muttered. He knelt and ran his hand through the charred remains of the small home. Father, there is nothing here. We should move on. Kenneth may be ahead, Aidan and Nessa, too. Agreed, Alpin replied. Our time is short. We should go? The four departed the ash heap and returned to the path. They mounted their horses and headed northwest never noticing the spying eyes watching from the distance. The late afternoon sun shined its rays down upon the four Scots. Chorich lifted his hand to his brow to shadow his eyes, and he peered into the distance. He wondered if the sun's light was playing tricks on him. Do you see that? He shouted to the others. Alpin squinted. It's a cart, with some sort of cage. He kicked his heels into the ribs of his horse and spurred the animal past Chorich. A wooden cart sat deserted in the middle of the path. Its frame stood tilted on three wheels, and the cage mounted to its frame held no prisoners. The four Scots approached and dismounted beside the abandoned cart. An army must have been here, Chorich said, staring at the prince surrounding the cart. He lifted his head and pointed to the empty prison-like cage. Looks like they unloaded and left the cart, Aidan and Nessa could have been inside. The wheel was snapped clean, Ronan said, 
standing beside a tree at the path's edge, furtively inspecting the stray wheel with his fingers. Father, they can't be far. They may have been a couple of days ahead, but if they're on foot now, they'll be moving slower. We don't know for sure. They may have more carts. We don't know how they're moving, only that they have one less cart, Alpin muttered. Chorich surveyed the ground and examined the footprints at the rear of the cart. Then he stepped to the front, continuing to scan the muddy path, and working to decipher the disarrayed prints of horse and man. Here, more footprints leading away, people walking. He moved alongside the path, tracking the steps. Here, there's more. Two rows of prints, side by side. They're walking, father. We can catch them. Chorich hurried to his horse and pulled himself up. He shook the reins and turned his horse west. In moments, Chorich's steed was galloping, kicking splatters of mud on the others as he rode away. Hurry, let's go. He yelled back. Ronan and Les mounted their horses and flew after him. Alpin lingered as the three departed. He ambled to the cart and tied a small black leather strap to a post on the empty cage. He gazed south toward Renton. Luag, come quickly, he whispered. Then he mounted his horse and followed his son. The Scots arriving in Renton took camp outside the village. The men from Cashel had been the first to appear with several additional clans from the west arriving not long after. In total, their numbers swelled to over 400 men, young and old. Clan by clan the groups arrived, each finding themselves in a state of disbelief when first glimpsing Renton's destruction. Many aided the decimated villagers, helping to sort through the burnt buildings and salvage those items that had survived the fires. Of the dozen or so structures in the village, all but four were reduced to rubble and ashes, and even those now appeared pitiful and tattered. With Alpin absent, Luag and Constantine were in charge. The two called for the clan leaders to assemble, but the group could no longer gather in Renton's meeting hall. The memorable hall had been one of the first casualties of the Viking attack. Instead, the cloistered men congregated under a circle of oaks where a large canopy had been erected to shelter the men from the random spells of drizzle and rain. Lathan arrived in the late afternoon with nearly eighty men from Milton. His heart sank when he saw Renton's devastation. After conversing with a local villager who had survived the Viking attack, Lathan hurried to find Luag and Constantine. Renton's fall troubled him, but it was the news of Les's departure with Alpin that troubled him most. Spotting the canopy in the distance, Lathan left his men and marched toward the assembly. Is it true? Lathan said, stepping under the tent and catching Luag's attention. The Vikings did this and my son has left with Alpin to chase after them. And where is Siana? Yes, Alpin has left. Could he not have waited another day? Lathan interrupted. I don't like this. Where is Siana? Lathan, your daughter is all right. Siana is with Ina. As for Alpin, he waited as long as he could. We think Aidan and Nessa were taken in the raid. Alpin had no time. He had to go after the Vikings. They took several captives when they attacked and the other clans had yet to arrive in Renton, leaving Alpin no choice but to pursue them. And Les went with him. Yes, and my son as well, Luag added. Chorich too. But in waiting a day, he would have had hundreds of men behind him. Now he has three to fight the Vikings. What will he do if he finds them? 
I understand your concern, Lathan, Luag lamented. I have no simple answers. Was he to stay and let the Vikings vanish? There were no good choices, only two poor choices, and both undesirable. Lathan, you know Alpin. You have always trusted him, trust him now. I trust him, Lathan answered, that's not the point. Then respect that he knows the dangers and has weighed the cost. His children and many others were taken by those savages. I can't fault his decision. All right, enough, Lathan granted, lifting his palms in the air, I concede. He lowered his hands and folded his arms across his chest. But I still don't like it. Dusk began to fade as the last trace of the sun sat on the horizon. The men finished their plans and agreed to leave at sunrise. They would depart Renton and head north along the western shores of Loch Lomond. As the group readied to disassemble, a voice called from the distance. Gentlemen, Gura shouted, ambling forward to join those congregating below the canopy. The gaze of the assembly locked on Gura. I see that Renton has been hit hard, and I hear that Alpin is now off on his own. He paused and peered at the stone-faced audience staring back at him. That leaves us to decide the fate of the Dauriadans and choose how we shall protect our people and our land. Our plans need no deliberation, Luerg said gruffly as he moved through the assembly and stepped face to face with Gura. Our plans have not changed since we settled them ten days ago. Everything has changed. How can you say there is no change? Everything has changed. The men have gathered, Gura. Alpin has instructed me to take the men west of the lock and meet him. Together, we will fight the enemy and save our people. Luag insisted, not hiding his irritation. Alpin may have wished for you to follow him, but the men here see what this enemy can do. I'm sure they don't intend to chase a ghost in hopes that he's still alive and able to lead. Constantine stepped between the two. His eyes locked on Gura. There are no wishes and no ghosts here. Our men will leave in the morning. We will find the enemy and fight them. Constantine held his gaze for a long moment, then moved past Gura and departed the tent. The others followed and left for their respective camps. Only Gura and Luag remained. The two stared at one another, though neither spoke. Luag hesitated briefly and then shook his head and walked away. As the meeting under the canopy ended, another meeting began not too far away. I need to speak with you, Cirque said, stepping from the shadows. He nervously glanced over his shoulder, ensuring the two were alone. It's about Angus. Forget Angus, what the hell happened here? Taran said, pointing in the distance at Renton. The Vikings raided. They stormed the village and burned it. They took Alpin's son and daughter, Aidan and Nessa, and several others. Taran, they've taken them as slaves? I don't give a damn about the people they've taken they're gone. We have to focus on keeping the rest of Dalriadur, alive, Taran said. Where were the Picts? Didn't you go to Angus? Wasn't he supposed to be here to speak to the men? Taran, that's what I'm trying to tell you. I did see Angus I've seen him twice. I've just returned from Perth, and Angus may be a part of all this. What do you mean you've been to Perth twice? That Angus may be a part of this. Taran, as we agreed, I went to Angus after the men met in Renton's hall to tell him that the clans of Dalriada would assemble in Renton to fight the Vikings. 
I said that he should come to see them, and speak to you and your father. So what happened? Taran asked. Did he agree to come? He said he had given Alpin his chance. Damn it, Alpin will be the end of us, Taran groused. But, Taran, that's not all. Only a few days after I told Angus of our plans, the Vikings attacked Renton. That's why I returned to Perth. At first, I wanted to tell Angus of the Viking attack and convince him to join us. But Taran, he's determined to kill Alpin. And I think he may have even been behind the Viking attack on Renton. Angus devised the attack on Renton. Taran said. Cirque, you've lost your mind. Angus needs Dalriada as much as we need Pictland. No, Taran, you don't understand. He may have called for the attacks, he speaks in riddles. I don't trust him. He means to kill Alpin, with or without the Vikings. Taran began to pace. His mind spun in a maze of thought. Is Angus willing to speak with my father, to someone who sees something better for Dalriada? Cirque could feel his nerves unravel as he listened to Taran's words. Taran, don't you hear what I'm saying? I don't know that we can trust Angus. I fear. I don't care what you know or don't know. Much less do I care of your senseless fears. You brought this attack on us, and your fears will be better spent looking for a way out. Taran exclaimed, then he lowered his face close to Cirque's. You'll start by paying Angus another visit. Cirque's heart sank. Taran, don't send me back. I can't go back. You will go back and you will tell Angus to meet with me and my father. Taran locked eyes with Cirque. I'm certain Luag and the others would be quite interested to hear that you've befriended the Pict, he muttered in a calm, callous whisper. But what if Alpin returns? Forget Alpin. There is no more Alpin. He won't survive the Vikings. The meeting ended as quickly as it began. And in Taran's heart, he steeled his vision for Dalriada, and it did not include Alpin.